You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 206 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Oh, are we singing? (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) Is this going to be like Hamilton? Are we just going to sing at each other? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I love how there are some members of the podcast community who are Hamilton fans. How was that party? Imbi Neem's party, the Hamilton themed I know. party. Big shout I knew you'd be excited. Imbi. Oh Imbi. my god. So excited. Went to have another, you know, uh, Hamilton ha- Hamilton fan. That party where she made Hercules Guacamoligan. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton and pineapple pizza. I know. I did Margarita, like Hamilton Peggy, Skyler pizza. Hamilton, Hamilton and tonics. <laughs> I, I don't understand why you haven't picked up on this. I feel like you need to have a Friday night in the <sighs> Writer Centre office Hamilton party based on all of these things and yeah. film it for us so we can see you all singing at each other because I know I you know. do. Yeah, I've already told everyone in the office that this is the Milsons Point Company of Hamilton <laughs> and that we will be doing a Facebook Live and we've assigned each other roles. Some people are not very happy about the roles that they have been issued, oh. but um, I don't what know. What role you know. have you given yourself just out of interest? Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will announce in advance everyone exactly when the Facebook live will be so that you can all tune in because seriously I'm not missing it (laughs) all right we have my own Hamilton and pineapple pizza while I watch (laughs) we probably will only be able to do it after we have some Hamil gin and tonics (laughs) I think you'll need a bucket load of Hamil gin and tonics Right. Oh, dear. You get to talk about writing, Val. That's what we're not here to talk about gin and tonics. Yes. We're here to talk about writing, remember? Sorry. Right. Put your serious yes. face on. Serious face. Yes. So, this is a mini sode, which is what we uh, release in between our regular programming. And so, we sometimes have mini interviews in these mini sodes, and sometimes we answer listener questions. And this week, we're answering a bunch of questions that we hope many of you are going to find interesting and useful as well. So, the first question comes from Tracy. And Tracy says, I'd love to know more about ghostwriting memoirs and nonfiction books. How do you get clients? What is the process? Do you interview them for the info or do they give you their notes and you write the book based on that? Does it pay as a percentage of sales or do you get a lump sum for completed manuscript or per word, etc.? Now, both of us have uh, ghostwritten books, so maybe if we just Listen, share our own experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, ghostwritten. 
Oh, oh, did I just say that? You, oh, my goodness. You, just, you've obviously <gasps> had too many Hamilton and Tonics yeah, as well. Clearly. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Um, so perhaps if we both share our own experiences and then also, um, you know, discuss some other ways that people do it that we know of. So do you want to kick off, Al? You've ghostwritten a book. You probably right. can't tell us who it is, can you? No. Are, you, are you allowed? No. Yeah. It's a famous person, everyone. There you go. Yes, no, I can't because generally ghostwriting, anything comes with a confidentiality agreement attached mm. to it. Um, mm. So it's up to the person who's um, – it's up to the person and the publisher, uh, so the person whose book you're writing and the publisher to decide whether or not they're going to actually give you any form of acknowledgement whatsoever. Um, so you'll often see, uh, you know, that celebrities will ghostwrite a book with a known author, this this often you do see this in children's books quite a bit, um, mm. and you will see that it's you know like Izzy Folau's book, for example, is written with someone else. Um, mm. So sports people will often write with someone else, and that will actually be on the cover. But most mm. of the time, for a true ghost writing job, you get no acknowledgement whatsoever. Um, mm. How do you get clients? Well, it's an interesting thing because uh, so uh, the clients that I've had have been have come because I've been approached to do the job as opposed to me actually seeking them out. So um, I think, Val, there was a post on the Australian Writers' Centre uh, a couple of years ago written by someone who did does quite a lot of ghostwriting and they talk mm-hmm. about uh, – do you remember it? They talk about um, how they get clients and stuff in that. So that would be worth putting in the show notes. I will find oh, it. Oh, yes, it I, was um, by yeah. Libby Harkness. That's it. That's it, yeah. And it was good. Yeah. It was a really good post. I'll find it. Um, so that will give some insight into, you know, gaining clients and, and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, so I've been approached once personally straight from a publisher and once through my agent. So it just depends on um, – and I think it's the kind of thing – because, you know, Michael Robotham, the crime author, uh, was a ghostwriter for a long time before he wrote his own crime novels. And I think once you build a reputation – like once you do your first one, if it's great, you will build a reputation as someone who does a good job ghostwriting um, and so clients will come to you, you know, that way as well. Um, so as far as what the process is, uh, in my case, it was you, you interview, you do like a series of interviews. Um, so you've got to come up with a structure for the book, work out how you're going to actually put the book together um, and then you do, you know, your interviews uh, based on what your end goal is, you will need to actually provide a structure to the publisher so that they know where you're going with it. Mm. Um, So then you do the interviews um, and you write the book based on that. And of course, the whole key to it is getting the voice of the person that you're, it's not about you. It's about the person that you're actually writing the book for. So you've got to get that you've got to actually sort of get into their heads a bit and get that voice right um, for them, how, how they say things, what, you know, how they would structure it, that sort of stuff. Um, does it pay as a percentage of sales or do you get a lump sum? That is basically comes down to the agreement that you have with the publisher, but more often than not, it is just a straightforward flat fee. Um, sometimes, I mean, I have been approached to do jobs, ghostwriting jobs where people wanted to split the royalties with me as a you know mm. as as payment rather than a flat a flat fee i have to say that you know given the amount of time that you're going to put into this and the amount of work involved it is a lot of work ghostwriting a book for someone else um yep. you generally will find that a flat fee is actually often depends on who the person is going to work out more beneficial to you as the writer than a royalty based situation not always but it's up to you to kind of weigh that up and work out 
um, how you want to work. Because obviously, if it's a lump sum, it's worked as it, it's paid it with an advanced structure. So you get some money up front, you get some money when the book is, uh, when the manuscript is completed, and then you get some money when it's actually done. So um, it allows you working money to actually sit down and do the book as you go. Yeah. That's my experience. What's yours, Val? Um, so I've ghostwritten a book and it was a business book. And how did I get them as clients? Basically, I, I met these people. Um, I met them because it was a um, – I was actually ghostwritten, ghostwriting for two people. <laughs> uh, I met them – through just general business networking and they knew that I was a writer they knew that I that I understood what they did because I had several dealings with them so they kind of got to know me through those several dealings and um and then they oh yeah asked me to go to write their book so that's how I met them the process was um we agreed on a structure first so we worked together on a structure and in this case, they had um, a lot of technical stuff that they wanted to convey, so they kind of wrote notes, and I then uh, for each chapter, and then I read the notes and interviewed them where the gaps were, and then I wrote, well, re- completely rewrote the notes, but mm. um, incorporating all of the gaps as well. Um because it was like a how-to book, so I couldn't have written the how-to myself because it didn't come out of my head. It would have come out of their head. Mm. I just I had to convey their their more technical how-to in you know a more palatable way. Um, I was paid a lump sum. I agree with Al in terms of uh, you know there 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 are both situations where you might get a percentage of sales or you might get a lump sum, um, and obviously a percentage of sales is always a risk because you don't necessarily know how book how well the book will do or maybe what you can negotiate is a certain lump sum and then a percentage of sales you know mm. like a lower lump sum but a but a percentage of sales on top of that I would probably personally only go for percentage of sales if they were super famous mm. and they there was a really really strong marketing plan behind the book mm. um uh, as Alison mentioned, there is uh, the guest post by Libby Harkness on our blog, and I, we've put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. And um, what I'm seeing, I think that in terms of ghost writing, there are two memoirs or nonfiction books. There are two very clear categories. There are the ones published by traditional publishers, mainstream publishers, and there is a huge number these days that are being self-published, mm. um, particularly of nonfiction books and particularly of how-tos, mm. you know, mm. Uh and there are often these are often by business people who are keynote speakers and they want their own book, but it, they they are experts experts in a very very niche area. So they often the traditional publishers aren't interested in publishing their book, not because they're you know terrible writers or anything like that, but because it's their area is too niche for a traditional publisher to get their money back on. However, these people often sell a lot of books anyway, or um, can distribute a lot of books anyway because they. They have their own networks and they speak at events with thousands of people um, who all clamour to buy their books. So when you are 
traditionally public when something is traditionally published and they want a ghostwriter they will often approach a ghostwriter a writer themselves like Alison uh, in your in Alison's case but uh, when you are dealing with a whole heap of you know thought leaders and keynote speakers many of whom often look for ghostwriters the best way to network with them or to find them is to go to where they hang out, which is typically at, you know, business networking events mm. and, and yeah, um, or, or, or um, groups that they actually belong to. Like maybe they belong to a monthly, you know, uh, mastermind or they belong to the professional speakers association um, where, where they're all keynote speakers, many of whom will want a book. So mm-hmm. I think you just need to go where the crowd is uh, and, and go where many of them are so that you're not having to deal one-on-one with lots of people. You're going there, you're, you're letting people know, Hey, I'm a ghostwriter. And I guarantee that there'll be quite a number of people in that group. If you're actually going to hang out in a large group that will uh, be interested in fun and talking to a ghostwriter. So, um, yeah. And in those cases, I would suggest lump sum, not percentage of sales, because in some cases, these people don't care about the money that they get from the sales because they just want their book distributed because they are getting a much bigger payoff when the person who gets their book and they might've got their book for free, um, uh, reads it, likes them, and hires them for a much greater mm. fee. So, a perfect example is my friend Victor. Um, he uh, will give. We will at a conference give away three hundred books, but out of that conference, he's guaranteed to get a hundred grand, like consulting kind of gig out of those 300 very targeted people. So that's mm-hmm. why I wouldn't go for percentage of sales because he gives, you know, sometimes the book's given away in those instances. Mm. So hopefully that's helpful, Tracy. Let's move on to a question from Robert. Uh, do book endorsement quotes on the cover of a novel actually help sell them? Mm, what do you mm. think, Al? I think it depends a great deal on the genre and who the actual endorsement is from. That's what I think. Absolutely. The key very much is who the endorsement is from. If it's from a no name, no one, (laughs) why Mm. would it help? (laughs) I mean, it might help slightly, but it's not going to have a really, you know, powerful impact because people are just going to go, who are they? Whereas if it is from someone high profile or someone that those particular readers respect and resonate with, then it can, uh, you know, it, it can work really well. And personally, I truly believe that, you know how sometimes you see books where the entire back cover is just endorsements or the first three pages are endorsements. Um, and that's fine if it's full of endorsements from high, from, you know, famous people who, uh, those readers respect, but sometimes I see three pages of endorsements from completely people I've never heard of in my life Mm. and people who it's not that I don't respect them, but I don't, you know, I don't know them from a bar of soap. So I don't hold them in any particular regard just because they're, they're not in my frame of reference. So I think you're much better off going with one killer or one or two killer, you know, endorsements from really famous people or really uh, respected people or influential people rather than three pages of lots of people. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I do. I totally mm. agree. Yes. So uh, we're both in agreement on that one. So we'll move to yeah. the next one. I was going to say, we think that was short and sweet. <laughs> yes, short and sweet. <laughs> the next one, we have to apologise. I'm so sorry. As I transferred your um, question to this document that both Al and I can view, I've I've somehow not included your name. So hopefully oh. you know who you are. So the question is, what advice might you have for a female writing in the voice of a young male protagonist? I often find myself falling back into feminine characteristics and being afraid to fully embrace the way a man might think. I understand that this is a skill of writing that needs to be practiced, but I thought you might have advice on how to harness a voice so different from your own. And yeah, I think that's the question for you, Al, because you've kind of done exactly that, right? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I just, I just didn't even really think about it. Um, I, look, I think it's one of those things of where you need to start with why, why you're writing this story from this particular perspective. Like, why have you chosen this young male protagonist? So that would be my first question. Why is this story needing to be written from this particular perspective? And then you need to get into who is this character. Like, you've got to know the character that you've chosen really well because, you know, if you're telling the whole story from from this young male perspective, it's got to be a really good reason for it. So that's going to come from who your particular character is. Um, so that would be my first point. Second point would be that the it's really important to um, – you, you don't say whether you're writing historical, contemporary, you know, what kind of uh, – you know, where we're at with your actual story. Um, but it would be really beneficial – to you, I think, to read um, widely in, you know, the kind of book that you're trying to write. So, you know, if you're looking at sort of young male protagonists, you need to get into that whole uh, section of the world and read all of them, written by men, written by women, pick up on the kind, like you've and you're reading, you're not just reading for fun, you're reading quite, you know, you know, to look at this uh, quite objectively, you know, why have they chosen those words? What are they doing to portray the maleness of this character as opposed to the femaleness of, of their offsider? What sort of, you know, like what, what kind of literary devices are they using to really bring the reader into the story? Um, I'd be reading things like, again, I don't know what you're writing, but I'd be looking at things like Jasper Jones. I'd be looking at stuff like mm. um, Book Boy reviewed a book, uh, not that long ago, called Bro by Helen, and it's a very contemporary book. It's set in Sydney. Um, mm. and it's very specific. It's you know gangs, and it's lots and lots of blokes talking to each other. Um, Helen, I, sorry, I can't think of the name. I'll put the link in the show notes to to the review. Um, and it was you know it was interesting for him. He is a young male, and he still found that book quite interesting from the perspective of of because the, the the boys in it were very different to him and he found that quite confronting in some ways currently reading lord of the flies which of course is your classic you know young males gone wild um vile, you know the heart of darkness violence kind of stuff um so it depends on your story but you need to basically have a look at the kinds of things that that have been written in that in that point of view um mm. and my other suggestion would be to so I don't I as I said didn't really think about the young male protagonist and the voice and all of that sort of stuff because I live with two young males and I was yeah. writing for that specific readership and so um, to me it was it's observation and the kinds of and the just the way that they 
talk about stuff and the way they talk to their friends. And obviously my boys are contemporary and the stuff I'm writing is sort of, you know, quasi historical, but it's still that relationship. And like, even in, in the Mapmaker Chronicles four, for instance, um, it's a very like I that book for me was really interesting to write because it was such an interest it was such an exploration of brothers you know it's a real brothers book and mm. one of the comments I got back from one of the sort of uh, from the proofreader or someone it was a very intrusive proofread I remember that and I was really unhappy <laughs> with it but anyway one of the comments I got back was that she really disliked um, the way that they riffed against each other the way that they because they are brothers, they pay mm. each other out all the time and half mm. of their conversations end in a wrestle and this is what they do, right? And she was really kind of like taken aback by it. She thought that they should be nicer to each other. And I just said to my editor, um, no, because this is how boys are with each other. This is what brothers mm. do. This mm. is how they relate to each other. My boys mm. are constantly wrestling and I go in thinking that the whole world is ending and they seriously, they turn around and they say to me, it's okay, mum, it's just big bro, little bro time. Like that's their <laughs> thing. That's what they do. They wrestle and they box and they, you know, it, there's a, it's a constant rumble and I've only got two. Mm. I can't imagine what it must be like, you know, for Quinn's mum with her, you know, six. <laughs> it's just like what? <laughs> um, so mm. I think, you know, it's it's really worth um, – spending time with the age group that you're trying to write A for and B about because um, they, they're not gentle with each other, young men, mm. generally speaking. I know we talk about mean girls a lot um, in, in the public, you know, in the media, uh, but, but boys are not gentle with each other on any level. And the, you know, contemporary boys, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I'm sorry I didn't like what you just said. It's it's fairly straightforward, you know. I yeah. won't say it because it will be we'll get an explicit rating, and I you know we try to avoid that. <laughs> so you really yeah. So spend some time with them. I, I mean, I, if you don't have any of your own, find find some that you can kind of hang out with in a creepy way, or you know, do a Sue Whiting. <laughs> Remember Sue Whiting talking about about sitting on the train observing people, mm. and you know, watch watch them in a non creepy way just mm. to see how they are with each other. There's a lot of pushing and shoving in a very friendly, love your bro way. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, for example, um, the other day I was sitting, it was like after school, and not that I went to school, but it was after school time. <laughs> and uh, I was in a cafe and there was a bunch of teenager boys and they were chatting. I was just – and I was observing and I found myself just writing little notes, um, channeling Helen Garner because that's what she would do and I think she's amazing, uh. just on my observations. Although after a while they, I realised they really smelt. And oh, my to God, go. they so <laughs> groups of them at the end oh. of the day it's just like so you know particularly my teenager comes home after a day of rolling around at school mm -hmm. in his sports uniform mm -hmm. and it's just like mate you need a shower like this is just yeah. but the other I, I find a really so I wrote a blog post years ago I'd taken my two boys who at that stage were you know 10 and 7 or something younger um and not quite at that really revolting stage yet and um I'd taken them to Sydney and we were sitting on a train on the way back and there were the two of them and they were sitting next to me and they were you know doing reading their books or doing whatever they were doing because they were quite nice boys at that point um 
<laughs> I can't vouch for now. Um, <laughs> and there was this group of boys that got on and sat behind us and they were probably, oh. I don't know, 14 or 15. Like 14 and 15 is, is just a cracking time for listening to this kind of stuff. And the conversation that, I mean, I was honestly sitting there like I was trying to pretend to be like, Playing, working on my iPad or whatever, mm. but my ears were on stalks. Like they were literally mm. like my ears had turned to face backwards so that I could <laughs> not miss the word. And it was just mind boggling. It really was what the, the kind of stuff that they talk about when they think that it's just them, just mm. fascinating. And it's, it's what you need to, it's what you need to do. You need to listen yep. into those. You need to eavesdrop. And I, it's the only eavesdropping I will ever actually, you know, sanctify or whatever, justify, mm. but it really is writers have to listen because it's how people talk to each other that will really help you to bring that voice in in for your writing. Jeez, I've gone on there, haven't I? I'm so sorry. No, that no, helpful. that's all really helpful. So you know who you are. I'm sorry that your name fell off. I apologise, oh, really? but uh, hopefully you found that useful. All right, well, that's our mini-sode for this week and uh, there's going to be some really good episodes coming up, so we look forward to chatting to you very soon. In the meantime, we do. where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Uh, you will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Instagram and Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you'll find me on Facebook as well. Make sure you join the podcast community. Wonderful group of listeners. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook, and we would love to see you in there. In the meantime, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 